And today's Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Amos. Amos is a minor prophet. And um, if you'd like to follow along, you can on your few Bibles somewhere. Um, I don't have my bullets anymore. Um, somewhere, yeah, my bullets is down here. It's on page 845 in the Old Testament section. Um, last week, um, as we talked about in, uh, and throughout Bible school, our theme was Jonah. And last week we preached on Jonah, and, and we studied Jonah throughout the week. And so um, Jonah is also a minor prophet. And we thought, well, we had Jonah. Let's um, stick with the minor prophets some throughout the month of August. Um, <clears throat> in the book of the, in the Old Testament, there are 16 uh, books written, written by prophets. Four are called major prophets, and 12 are called minor prophets. The only difference, um, one, the minor prophets don't have any less significance than the major prophets. Um, the difference between the uh, major and minor prophets is, is the length of the book. So if it's a minor prophet, it's a smaller book. That's, that's all there, there is. And um, before we read this morning from Amos 5, 18-24, let me give you a little bit of background about who Amos is. Amos um, may not have called himself a prophet at all. He's really a, a southern boy from southern Israel and was called to go up north, to northern Israel. He was a herdsman, and he was a lumberjack almost, if you would. And when he went up to northern Israel, at the time of Israel, things were going pretty well. Often we hear the prophets come to us when things aren't going well. They're in exile, or they're getting ready to go into exile, or they're fighting, or people are starving, and, and they're like, be prepared, change, 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 change. The Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. If you don't change, things will get worse, worse, worse. Well, in Amos' time, things were actually peaceful. There wasn't that much of a threat of other countries coming in to take them over. Financially, everybody was doing pretty well for the most part. <clears throat> and the temple was full. People were going to the temple. It was some good times. And so what I've learned about when things are going well in the good days is that two things. One, it's not as good for everybody as you think. There are people being left behind. And also, when we talk about in the good old days, when someone speaks up and says, be careful, often those words are not heard. Or the words are heard, they're hard to hear. And it hurts um, to hear warnings during the good times. And I warn you today, Amos's words this morning are hard to hear. I think they are hard to hear for those Israelites thousands of years ago, and they are hard for us to hear in the year 2022. Let us be open. Our whole selves, our, our minds, our ears to God's word this morning, even as hard as it may be for us to hear. I invite you now to listen to God's word. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear and went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate I despise your festivals. 
and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offering of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Author Annie Dillard recalls a church of her teenage years. And nothing is so inevitable blackened in my heart as an obligatory Sunday at Shadyside Presbyterian Church. The minister's British accent, the hypocrisy of my parents who forced me to go, though they did not. The hypocrisy of the expensive men and women who did go. On one of these days, I was going to quit when I figured out how. It was the first Sunday of the month I remembered shot. I would sit through communion with his two species, embarrassment and tedium. I successfully avoided communion for years. From their pews below rose the ushers and elders from Mellon and Bank and Trust and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and tailcoats. They worked the crowd smoothly as always. When they collected money, I noted, they were especially serene. Now, with dignity, the elders hoisted the round silver trays which bore communion, and they were passed down with pews along with flat silver platters bore heaps of soft bread cubes as if we were stuffing a turkey. The elders and the ushers spread swiftly and silently over the marble aisles and discreet pears, some for bread cubes, some for grape juice, communicating by eyebrow only. It soon they reached the balcony where I sat. There our prayers had reached their intense pitch in hopes not to drop the grape juice. Was all of this absurd? Perhaps all of us from time to time have wondered and questioned the absurdity of what we do here on Sunday. Wondering, is all of it worth it? Is this what God is calling us to do? We've discussed here many times the countless surveys and articles written about the decline of church attendance. And no matter which one you read, three um, things keep popping up in each of these studies. First is sluggishness. People in America are tired. They're tired of looking for something, to, uh, and they're looking for something to motivate them but they found church to be awfully sluggish as well. The second is community. People in America are looking for community. But people do not feel connected to church or to faith any longer. And lastly is value. People are looking for meaning. When we think about church, they think there's no value added. They have no value in attending church. Whatever the reason the church membership in the United States has gone down, whether we agree with it or not, it's not just absurd. I mean, they don't think that church is just absurd. 
but it's worse. They think the church is irrelevant. In an indirect way, these surveys, the decline of church membership, perhaps are saying the same thing that Amos is saying thousands and thousands of years ago. Amos is just more direct. Amos speaks to the Israelites in a time when things were, for the most part, as we said, peaceful. And for many, their finances were okay, and overall the Israelites are in a, a good period of time. Perhaps not much different than the United States experienced for many, not all, but for many, from 1980 to 2020. So it must have been surprising and hard to hear when Amos stood up and told everyone that God was not pleased. The day of the Lord, God was not going to bring light at all, but instead God was going to bring darkness. And by the way, this is what God thinks of your worship. And listen to the verbs. Hates. Despises. Takes no delight, does not accept burnt offerings, and you can just take away your music. Is God suggesting that worship back then, maybe even now, is absurd and irrelevant as our society in the year 2022 is saying that it is? I don't think so. Nor do I think the scripture is suggesting that we just forgo worship altogether. Instead, I think God is telling Israel, and just like God reminds us today through scripture, that worship is not the end, but worship is the beginning. And the beginning begins in darkness. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, darkness covered the earth. And God swept over the face of the earth. It's on a dark night that Jesus came to us humbly in a manger. And every time we come to this table, to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that the hope of Easter began with Jesus dying on a cross where day turned into night. When Amos asked, isn't the day of the Lord darkness, not light? gloom with no brightness in and Amos is reminding us that God comes to us all all of those who are thriving in life where life is good but also for those of us who feel left behind God comes to the orphans God comes to the widows to the poor those living in darkness God is saying don't forget about those in darkness And if our worship service are simply to celebrate at the end of the week, if our worship service is simply to give thanks for all that we have without noticing those living in darkness, if our worship service does nothing to prepare us to go into the world and follow Jesus Christ into that darkness, providing hope for those that cannot see the light, then our worship service to God has become both absurd and irrelevant as the world proclaims it to be. Because to live into God's hope, God's light, as Amos calls it, means we cannot ignore the world around us. 
speaking to a group of German pastors in the 1930s that theologian Karl Barth spoke for over an hour. And he never once mentioned Adolf Hitler. When asked why he failed to comment on the key current issues of the, the life in the world, Bart replied that he had the joyful task of proclaiming Jesus Christ, and why would he waste his audience time with a mentioning of a nothing? This is the sort of behavior that uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, another theologian during that time, despised in Bart. Niebuhr was a realism. So the debate for the last 80 years has been, was Bart being unrealistic in his nonchalance? Was he working with a different reality? Hope. Hope creates and sustains God's own reality. As a poet declares, to allow injustice to jerk us around and command our full attention is to pray as the devil. This is no easy calling for followers of Jesus. The nothings of this world, as Bart called them, cause unspeakable pain and violence. In our holding fast to God's promises, in our listening carefully to God's spirit, in our caring, in our choices, in our spending, in our praying, in our giving, we are called to follow Jesus Christ into God's hope. And if hope is our call, then our call is to focus on the hope of God which means we will follow Jesus into the darkness, into the injustice, with the light of God as our guide. Worship is not merely a celebration at the end of the week. Instead, it's the beginning to live a week where justice is rolling down like waters. And righteousness is like an ever-flowing stream. And what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for justice to roll down like waters? It begins with a church challenging that symbol of justice in our society today. According to God's world, justice is not a noun. It's, it's, it's not a blindfolded woman holding a set of balances before her. Justice is, is not an achievement or of a fairness or equality. It's not even a balance where all is at rest. Instead, Scripture says that justice is a verb. It's like surging and churning, cleansing, stream. This is the constant motion, creating commotion. This is the church's call. The church's call is the word to go into the world and create commotion. Not just any commotion, but holy commotion. By pointing to God's light amid the darkness, by pointing to God's justice amid the injustice, and pointing to righteousness amid unrighteousness. This commotion, this justice is how the church expresses its gratitude. Injustice, not worship, is how we are called to give thanks to God for all that God has given to us. In our words of gratitude, God takes on advocacy. God calls us to give thanks to God by being advocates. Advocates for the poor, for the widowed, for the orphan, for those unable to see the light amid the dark. 
anyone unable to speak for themselves. Justice for Amos, for the church, to speak loudly in the courts. Whether that's an official court, or whether that's the courts of the streets, or our homes, or our schools, or our places of work, or wherever that resides. And this clear is here includes church. Both in this room and throughout our entire campus, we have been able to speak honestly here with one another. And I know sometimes to speak honestly with one another in the year 2022 gets very uncomfortable. Because years have been taught to disconnect our religious life from our civic life. And often we've been called to worship God with fervor, but not taking those values into our daily lives. Derek Sir, Sir Redwine, a pastor in Richmond, Virginia, argues that Christianity in the first 2,000 years has kept morality at most, for the most part, private, and interior and heaven-bound with a few implications with what we call our political and social and economic life. But God's word, God's word speaks to us directly, to us. And if we want to ensure our worship is pleasing to God, then we must be as concerned with our horizontal relationship that define our social and political life as we are with our vertical relationship that defines our religious one. Which means we have to be okay with one another in this space to talk about hard topics, including loneliness and depression and anxiety, including abortion and racism and borders and gun violence in Ukraine and famine in South Sudan and climate control and anything else this world deems to be messy because if we can't get messy in these walls, then perhaps the world is right. Our rituals, our traditions, our services are not only absurd, but even worse, irrelevant. You may recall, we left and dealered watching the communion trays get passed from one person to the next, questioning the absurdity of it all. She recalls glancing at Linda beside her, but apparently for Linda it was not absurd at all. Her hands folded in her lap. Oh, what would the barefoot Christ, if there was such a person, think about things? Grape juice, tailcoats, British vows, sable stoles, Yet I was alert enough now to feel, uh, despite myself, some faint, thin stream of spirit braiding forth from the pews. As flawed and fragile goalies pulled far beyond me at the table, and there is no speech or language. But people have been praying. Old time, they've been praying to God. And just as they seemed to be praying, there was some spirit in that room in that moment. That was a fact. And I don't know what to make of it. I wonder how many of you felt that in this room. 
as we begin our week here. Being equipped by God to connect our religious life with our social life. To take what we've learned here so that it impacts our lives out there. And to take what impacts our lives out there so it impacts our worship here. I wonder how many of us have felt that feeling in this room. Unsure of what to make of it all. And let me assure you all this. That feeling that you feel is not only absurd, but it's real. That's the Holy Spirit moving. And whenever you feel it, however you feel it, absurd as it may feel to you, as absurd as you may think it may be, run to it. Run as fast as you can without stopping. Run, run, run. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in our church, calling us to follow Jesus Christ into the darkness, pointing to the light of God, advocating for the unheard, reminding the world, reminding us how relevant to God that we all are. And there's nothing, 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 nothing about that that's absurd. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.